This is Play-By-Play Cast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play-by-play guys. For play-by-play guys, by I'm told, a play-by-play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now here's the host of Play-by-Play Cast, Todd Bodet. Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay, here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. It's another Friday morning, so back at it with another edition of Play by Playcast. My name is Joel Gadette. Thanks as always for the stream, the subscription, the download. However you found us to listen to today, be it on iTunes or Stitcher or any number of other places, YouTube, um, that you can find this podcast, some of which I don't even know about, um, which is odd considering, you know, I'm the one that publishes it. Uh, but you never know. Like, I've, I've stumbled upon it on random websites that pick up the feed. Uh, So, if you're one of the people listening to it there, welcome. This is, of course, the podcast about play-by-play broadcasters for play-by-play broadcasters, hosted by a play-by-play broadcaster. It's a professional development podcast diving into the tips, tricks, experience, stories, process, preparations, and preparations of some of the biggest and best play-by-play announcers in the business. And uh, before we get to our guest today, the voice of the Washington State Cougars, Matt Chasnow, I wanted to pull back the curtain a little bit and kind of give you a glimpse into uh, the preparations of people during the NCAA tournament. Uh, We've talked about it before on this podcast. I tweeted out during the the week. By the way, you can find us on Twitter, at PXPCast, or I'm at Joel Godet. But I tweeted out during the week links to episodes previous with Chris Carino, who does the NCAA tournament on Westwood One, um, and Andrew Catalan, I tweeted that out uh, yesterday, uh, who, who does the NCAA tournament for CBS. And, and we've talked about preparation, and Richard Deitch has done this with guys on uh, the Sports Illustrated, or the previous Sports Illustrated sport, uh, sports media podcast, um, about their preparations for the NCAA tournament and what it's like and how you basically cram for the amount of teams you're going to see as quickly as you see them. And I've talked about it a couple of times on the podcast. Uh, I've been unbelievably blessed to be able to do some work with CBS Sports Network this past year. And I did one game on ESPNU. One. Still get all the emails. So so uh, it's kind of an interesting window into how people prepare for the NCAA tournament uh, when they're calling the games or when they're at that level and they need to know a lot of information quickly. I woke up this morning and had a, a CBS email in my inbox. Uh, it was sent at 3.03 a.m. today. Uh, and it is all of the research from yesterday's roundup. So, like, if I'm waking up today calling games on CBS, I just open up my inbox and I've got two word attachments that have everything I need to know about every game, which is is really kind of cool. And I know people have talked about, uh, you know, previous guests have talked about research packets and things of that nature, but I just kind of wanted to give you a little bit of an insight now that I'm holding one firsthand of what it looks like. So if I open the recap from yesterday, uh, this is the CBS recap, it will tell me Thursday's things to know. 
Rob Gray scored 23 of Houston's 28 second half points and gives me the whole breakdown. Houston in the second half versus San Diego State. Gray versus the rest of the team. Uh, largest wins by a 13 seed over a four seed in the history of the NCAA tournament. Of course, Buffalo just lambasted Arizona yesterday. So I can tell you, 1985, Navy beat LSU, 23 points. Uh, Buffalo over Arizona, 21. That ties Siena beating Vanderbilt by 21 in 2008. Uh, so then it gives me all these different nuggets on that. Colin Sexton by half, how he did in the first half when he scored three points, how he did in the second half when he scored 22 uh, for Alabama. And then I've got Word documents attached here, and literally every game that was played le- uh, yesterday, eight to ten bullet points on every single game. Kansas versus Penn. Uh, Bill Self, 34th NCAA tournament win at Kansas, ties him for Roy Williams, or with Roy Williams, for most by head coach in school history. And uh, Penn led by as many as 10 in the first half and was leading as late as 235 in the first half. So all those quick nuggets, it just wraps it up into a nice little bow. Now, I mean, that's a research packet is what it is. What's really cool is uh, the emails that you get that have the pre-prep in them before the tournament ever starts. So I've got about... 84 PDFs that I can open up here. We'll pick one randomly. Uh, Here's Iona. So you open up this PDF for Iona, and it tells you in, like, the most organized fashion ever. Record. How they earned their bid. Their conference. Their location. The school's enrollment is 3,329 people. Tells you their arena and how many people it holds, which is almost the entire enrollment of the school, by the way. Uh, All their previous tournament appearances. Sweet 16 appearances, Elite 8 appearances, Final Fours, Championships, who the head coach is, uh, a random coach factoid. There's literally a line that says coach factoid. Tim Clues was the 2014 MAAC Basketball Coach of the Year, has totaled 182 wins as head coach of Iona, second most in program history to Jim McDermott, who has 319. Uh... They've got his previous record in the NCAA tournament. They've got the previous five seasons record and BPI for Iona. They've got the entire team's roster. They've got obvious information, head coach assistance, SID, um, all that stuff. Pronunciation guide is on here. And then on page two, player notes. So bullet points on a whole bunch of players that are important. It's storylines, things of that nature. It then gives you a record breakdown. It then gives you team notes. It then gives you their schedule. Win, loss, score, record, rank, top scorer for every game. Uh, After that, it gives you individual statistics. After that, it gives you the split stats. Home row, neutral, wins, losses, conference, non-conference, AP, top 25, unranked by month, starters, bench, record when, halftime highs and lows are all in this packet as well. You get one of those for every team in the NCAA tournament. And then on top of that, let's see, uh, there were a whole bunch of, a whole bunch of, here we go. Um, There's an active career leader PDF that you get for the NCAA tournament. So everybody who's in the NCAA tournament this year, what are their career stats? I can tell you that Purdue's Vincent Edwards is the current leader for active career points per game in the NCAA tournament, minimum three games played. Joel Berry, most total points. Vincent Edwards, most rebounds per game. Like, it gives you everything you could ever need to know. And it's been 
like lunacy trying to digest it all when you're on the outside looking in. Like I'm not doing the NCAA tournament, so I don't I haven't read all of those from the standpoint of needing to know that information. It's just been lunacy trying to digest it as basically a fan. Um, and it's cool to see uh, how the other side lives, uh, how how your Brian Andersons and your Andrew Catalans and your Carter Blackburns and your Jim Nances and your Ian Eagles um, prepare. Uh, so kind of a glimpse into uh, into that world and uh, and how that's all done. But when people talk about it, and they've done it on this podcast before, um, what kind of preparation they have, that's what they're talking about. Here's another one, by the way. We'll open this one up and then we'll then we'll move forward. So these are your these are your game prep notes for each matchup. So not just individual teams, but here's South Dakota State versus Ohio State. South Dakota State side by side, one column, Ohio State on the other column, and it's got team records, etc. It puts their stats basically head to head, not head to head, but you know like what's this team score? What's that team score? What's this team's three-point defense? What's that points team's three-point defense? It will actually give you their series history, their common opponents this season. It's nuts. Like, they give you so much information. Uh, it's it's crazy. And, uh, hey, here's to one day hopefully being able to use it. Uh, uh, we'll see. One day. Uh, anyway, on to today's guest. Matt Chasnow is our guest, and he's been the voice of the Washington State Cougars since July of 2015. So this is his third season of football and basketball and uh, and some baseball at Washington State as well. And Matt's got an interesting path because he started – at IMG, where they started at ISP in Winston-Salem and started as a studio host and uh, a barista. Uh, he'll get into that. Um, he was doing play-by-play on the side. He was working at High Point. He was working at UNCG. He was cobbling things together, uh, then became full-time at ISP, IMG, um, became a network manager, and eventually uh, winds up as the voice of, of an IMG property at Washington State. So Matt will give us the the entire details of how his whole career has progressed, but that's kind of uh, the long and short of it. And we'll talk about, uh, you know, working with a legend, uh, you know, Bob Robertson, who for like 90 years was the voice of Washington State. He's still there. He is still in the booth with Matt. So uh, what it's like being able to have his knowledge around and, and, and have a three-man booth because Jason Gesser is is also in the, in the booth with him. So uh, being able to navigate that. Uh, what it's like going to Washington State when... Uh, you know, he was he was their network manager. He he oversaw a lot of the Western schools, but uh, wasn't wasn't tied to Wazoo before he got the Wazoo position, um, which is the same spot I was in when I got to Ball State. And there there are many people that that have that same uh, experience in in broadcasting and you know, in coaching and other uh, professions. So I was curious to get his take on on how you. Uh, ingrain yourself in the society, uh, in the culture of a new new society, and 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 what it's like um, trying to become one of the people that listen to you, one of the fan base, one of your listeners. Um, what it's like to um, to become a kook, basically. Uh, so we'll dive into all of that and much more. But where we start, Matt Chasnow is a Syracuse grad, uh, like myself. He was a senior when I was a freshman. Uh, so we start in central New York and I was curious, uh, if he had any stories about the guys that he was with, um, when he was at WAER and that's Jason Horowitz, um, Westwood one CBS, 
Big Ten Network. Uh, Anish Shroff, friend of the pod. Uh, Matt Martucci, friend of the pod, uh, voice of the St. Joseph's Hawks. Uh, Jason Benetti was also there when Matt Chazanow uh, was in college. And every time Jason's name comes up on the podcast, someone inevitably texts him about it. And then I inevitably get a text from Jason that says, what did you say about me on the podcast? Uh, so, so with that being said, I asked Chaz for a story on Jason Benetti. Uh, and that's where we start. Uh, quick primer as well. You're going to hear the name Jeff Tabiri. Uh, because Jason, Chaz, and Tibbs, Jeff Tabiri, lived together in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, when Chaz was starting out uh, at ISP and then eventually working at, uh, at, at IMG full-time. Uh, Tibbs went to college at Syracuse as well with Chaz and with, uh, with Jason. Uh, they then lived together in North Carolina. Uh, Tibbs is an NPR uh, radio voice in uh, Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and is phenomenal. And what he does. Uh, you might not know his name at a national level, but uh, an amazing talk show host and an amazing radio personality and an overall just amazing dude uh, who was the talk show director at the student radio station when I was a freshman. So that is who Jeff Tiberi is, who you will hear about a little bit uh, in some of Matt Chasnow's stories here. But uh, without further ado, let's dive into uh, the story of Matt Chasnow and Jason Benetti and the High Point Panthers to start things off on this week's edition of Play by Play Cast. Uh, no, I, I mean, Jason and I lived together for years, actually. And uh, we lived together in North Carolina. Oh, yeah. Um, my first ever job being paid as a play-by-play guy was High Point Panther women's basketball. And I was at a bar getting lunch with Jason in Winston-Salem. It was pouring outside. And he says, you know, I heard, I heard the, the women's spots open because he was doing the men. And, and he said, I heard the women's spots open. I, I think you could probably get it. I, I know other folks are applying, but, you know, it felt like the biggest job in the world at the time. It felt like the, like I was going to go call, you know, games for uh, Duke, for the, for Duke, for Duke or the Yankees or something. And um, so I, uh, <laughs> I think I like sprinted out into the rain, <laughs> like some, some really melodramatic thing and like got to a laptop as absolutely soon as I could applied. And, um, I remember the application process over the guy's shoulder I was talking to. I saw his computer in, in kind of an eavesdroppy way. I, I almost felt bad about it. I sort of saw his email, but didn't mean to, you know. Noticed that I had sent my resume to him like 15 times in his inbox. <laughs> and, you know, I, my name was on is in his inbox like 15 consecutive times in the same email. I said, hey, I'm really sorry. I, I guess my internet, I thought it wasn't sending. I kept hitting send and it went through every single time. <laughs> and he said, no, it just kind of shows you want it. And I, I just kind of got lucky. It didn't piss him off, I guess. So I got it. And anyway, so Jason and I lived together for you. Oh, Jeff Tiberi. Oh, yeah. Jeff was, uh, and I lived with Jeff too. And the three of us lived together to, to start out, to start out my post college career. And, um, Jeff Tibbs was, uh, was a talk show guy. He, he wasn't on on staff at AER, but uh, Jeff uh, is is a, a wonderful guy, and it, Jeff's a, Jeff's one of the, the the best conversationalists I've ever known. Jeff was a way better talk show guy than I ever was. Way better. Like 
it's not my thing. You know, we, we all know what, what, what we're good at and what we're not good at. And I, I, I'd be better at it now. At the time, I was trying to figure out what I'd love to do. And, you know, we all love doing this. There's there's kind of niches within the niche. You know, there's broadcasting. You could do TV and radio as it's different nuances and all this stuff. Well, Jeff was really good at talk. I mean, he was a, very talented at it. And he and Nick Wright used to work together a lot. I remember that. So he got used to get under my skin on purpose. I mean, that's that's kind of the goal of the whole gig. He would, he would needle me. And I, I committed the cardinal sin of all this, the, the really the one thing you can't do. I got so frustrated. I muted his mic. I just hit, I turned him <laughs> off and he got so mad at me and he walks out of the studio and he comes back in after a break. And, and I just said, Hey, I'm really sorry. You know, I, I, I didn't mean to do that. And, you know, of course we made up and all that stuff, but it was really just this funny moment where I, that was the, the dorky radio guy version of like a, like a real big fist fight in a bar after a big night of drinking, you know, is is two radio guys. One of them muted his mic, you know, gasp from the, from the crowd. Just can't believe it. You know, I, I did that to him. So apologies again to Jeff. Uh, Take me back kind of big picture. Um, before you even got there and before you started to get to know those guys of uh, growing up as a guy in New Jersey, uh, what led you to want to go to Syracuse? What led you to, to want to get into broadcasting in the first place? Honest to God, I did not know about Newhouse coming out of high school. Stop it. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't even know about it. How did you wind up there? I loved the school. I, I visited a bunch of other schools. I was half-heartedly interested in the rest of them. And <laughs> I had no doubt I wanted to go to Syracuse. I was arts and sciences year one. In fact, if we're, if we're, if we're just kind of name dropping AER guys, I was kind of trying to find my way. I, I talked to the crew coach. <laughs> okay. Thought I thought maybe I wanted to do crew. <laughs> that would have been that would have been a, a bit of running my head into a wall, I think, over <laughs> and over again. So I, I go to the I go you know kind of going around campus trying to figure out what I want to do, and I. I had heard my, my my mom and dad tell me for many years that I could achieve academically, and not that I hadn't at all to that point, but I definitely had half-assed it, and I and I hope my language was okay there. For, for too long, I was a seventy-nine point five get a B student, <laughs> squeaked by to maximize my fantasy baseball and and Madden timed in college. I, I said I kind of decided I wanted to really attempt to do something and i had heard the two best colleges on campus were maxwell and newhouse and and i say that with all due respect to like fashion design and architecture <laughs> two places that i could i didn't even walk into because i knew i had just no shot and didn't you know i frankly have much inclination probably and not an artistic bone in my body in that regard you so and damon john would have been a great team <laughs> it was not it wasn't not for me i go to newhouse and anish shroff is holding a meeting and he's saying the history of AER. So I, I really found out about Newhouse once I got on campus. And then Anish, who was the first guy to actually show me how to use a cart, which I don't even know that you guys use. I'm sure you don't use it anymore. We, we did. Yeah, it's got to be gone. It's got to be. Bulking carts. I actually thought that stuff was fun. I loved it. I loved every second of it. I was so enthralled with the whole the detail orientation. I think I was excited to be part of uh, there's a real academic slant to what goes on there and and i really liked that i was stimulated by it i really enjoy, i really love that Nish was talking about how competitive it is 
how 50, 60 guys will sign up and, and 40 in all likelihood, 40 to 50 will get cut. And we're, we're, we are purposely weeding people out and you got to wake up at three 30 in the morning for dedication, just to show you want to be here and you yep. got to all this stuff. And I, and, I, and I said that this is for me, I'm ready. I'm ready to do something like this. Just felt right. And Matt Lincoln, who was in Jason's class, Link was the one who was a PD and he was supposed to call you, call you if you were selected for the opportunity to be one of those 50, 60 guys who <clears throat> they may eventually cut or, or, or make it. You know what I mean? Yeah. He called my, my room phone. And, and I had never gotten a call on my room phone before. He must have been using the, the school directory. So he didn't call my cell. Well, I, I thought I didn't get, make it because I was a sophomore. I was a year late when, when I started. So I figured that I didn't get on there and I was, I was crushed because I kind of found something that I thought I, I just felt right. I, all the things Anish said, and, and aside from the, the sort of opportunity for glamour to be, go be, go try and be Marv Albert. And I grew up a Knicks fan and listened to Marv and all that stuff. I was shelving that. I just thought that I'd love doing it. And I, for about four five, six hours, I knew it was the day they were going to call people to let them in. And I start walking around. I think I found a niche when he left Newhouse. It says, is there anything you can do? do you know this guy, Matt Lincoln? Of course. He <laughs> can you, can you talk to him? I heard, I knew nothing about anything. I wasn't even in a new house. I hadn't even transferred anything. I get back to the, my, my room and, and I'll never forget seeing the blinking light on my phone. And I kind of knew it was going to be Matt. It was. And I, and I was highly motivated. I wrote down on the, on the sheet that they passed out. I said, they said, if you miss one cast, you will get cut. And we're trying to find reasons to cut you. And I, I remember I, you're, they said, here, write down your name and your phone number. That's all you need. And it's a random selection. And I wrote down on there, I said, I'll never miss a, a morning cast. You know? And I didn't. And, it was, and I loved it. I really did. So what do you, I, like, I feel like the question people always ask me when they find out what I do for a living is like, um, how did you get into this? And did you always like, who did you listen to growing up? And did you turn down the sound on your TV and, and do play by play? Um, that doesn't sound like it was you necessarily. Like what, what turned you on to say like, this is my life's calling. Uh, what, what did Anish say that like that triggered your fancy? For me, conversation was always a hobby. It, it was, I, I grew up in a, in a household with two Ivy league educated parents one of whom was a major in English and taught English and wrote books. And I grew up in a household that took great pleasure in spending time communicating. So for me, the, the, the passion of this lies in reaching out to people and, and conversing with them. And, and you can get, you can glean so much out of, what these games are as a metaphor. Well, the reason why we really like sports is because they're a metaphor for much larger things. And in the end, you can go to the game and, and, and there's no effect on life. It's not, it's the beauty of it is actually that it's not important. Everybody goes back to work the next day. You know, it's, it's okay. You, you have bragging rights. That's, that's kind of the extent of it. As a, I never really considered it as like a real career when I was in fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh grade, but I was that kid. There, there, there are these little, those little teensy cassette tapes on those, handheld recorders way back in the day before anything was digital. Oh yeah. 
<clears throat> there's a audio of me, of me in the car going on, on, on multiple vacations with my family. We used to go camping to uh, Acadia national park. So we had these long drives up to Maine and I used to create fictitious disaster scenarios. <laughs> of, <laughs> uh, I'd be in the back seat. So I'm like six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old, something like that. And, uh, I, I would say like, Hey mom, you know, and I'm frantic, right. You know, mom, Godzilla's in the Godzilla's chasing after us. I probably, I, I probably watched Godzilla or King Kong or something. Here's what's going on on the road. And I, I want to interview her like a new, like a news. reporter. <laughs> and I, and I, and I even called it the New York news on the phone, on that little recorder. And, and you know, there's, so there's nine years somewhere that exists in some basket <laughs> my mom has that needs to come out immediately <laughs> i know yeah. i know my, i would get such a kick out of it it's a great memory for me my my sister would get into it and she's four years younger she thought it was like she's like two you know or three <laughs> and um so i was i was always playing with it i always listened to the radio and always mute the tv and and sometimes i would call the game i did all that stuff so i loved it i always did was always a junkie for it. I just had never made the connection to maybe I should give it a shot myself as a profession. In saying that out loud almost sounds silly, but I didn't really know of it as an option. My parents were academics. They wanted me to be. Uh, and this was sort of an opportunity for me to blend those worlds. The, the I was a uh, mediocre athlete. I wasn't practiced enough. You know, I could have played like D3 basketball. What did your what did your academic parents think when you said I'm going to be a sports broadcaster? They were sweet. They were supportive. And I think they thought that I Th think they this too shall pass. Yeah, a little bit of that. I think so. I think so. I, and I think my mom, <laughs> my mom's funny. She's a my mom is a is a, a Ph.D. and an archaeologist and, a, oh. and an incredibly accomplished woman professionally and, and really bright. It's just I, I, and an incredible role model professionally growing up in retrospect. <clears throat> and, and she's a tough cookie too. I mean, she's grew up in Jersey city. She's, she's a strong, you know, p powerful academic accomplished woman. And I think that she, she loves that. I, I'm in a, um, uh, I'm in this, I'm in a spot that I'm in and, and all that, but I somewhere deep down, I think she's wondering like, because <laughs> she still doesn't know what a first down is you know <laughs> so she, she, she's like okay i get that it's a job i just kind of can't believe that it's a job that, that kind of thing you know what i mean yeah so how did you take me on the path now too uh you, you go to syracuse you go to north carolina was that straight out of school you went to north carolina yeah yeah, yeah. yep so you started working so, for i you started working for isp then right away yeah that's right that's right so this is where the network of Syracuse guys really comes into play. So I was in Boston uh, with, uh, I was at an, at an ex-girlfriend's house and got an email from Matt Park, who is the, uh, obviously the current Cuse play-by-play -play guy. And Matt said, it was it was heads up. I heard that uh, Corey Provis is leaving Winston Salem, and Corey now does the Twins. Yeah, 
And, and, and you know, Corey worked in Winston-Salem at this place called ISP. They do a bunch of professional broadcasts down there in college sports, but they're growing and they, and they may need some studio hosts, but at minimum, Corey is leaving. So there's one spot open, but I think there might be two. He, he said I, something like that in the email. And I'm in Boston and I, I didn't have a car. So for me, it was like a no brainer. I mean, that's exactly what I wanted to do. I was in college sports right now at the, at a, at a, as a you know student and I knew the world and I knew I wanted to do radio and I knew it was just perfect. It was a company that did what I wanted to do and they're offering work. And that's the hardest thing to find right away is to find somebody who's going to take a crack at you. And their business model was to, was to try to find somebody affordable and God knows that's what I was. <laughs> so I emailed to in I'm in Boston and he's in Syracuse. And I said, Hey, I just forwarded you an email. I gave him a call. Just forwarded you an email. Um, and it's funny, you know, now I'm, I'm giving, telling you the story. I just, my, my, my 315 number just flashed in my head. 315-382-7975. That was, my, that was a flip phone I had. <laughs> uh, my, my, my first ever cell phone. So I, I emailed Jeff and I go, hey, if I take a bus to Syracuse, do you want to go down with me and talk to these guys? If I reach out, this guy, Corey Provis, who I'd never heard of before, <laughs> this guy, Corey Provis, who Park knows, says there might be an opening. And Jeff said, sure. And he, so I took a bus that like instantaneously from Boston, like the next bus, I swear it was the next <laughs> bus out of Boston. I, I took a bus, you know, whatever the, the distance of that bus ride was, five, six, seven hours, I have no idea off my head to Syracuse <clears throat> and then I t and then I he picked me up in his uh old it was a great car he had this great beat up college car <laughs> and picked me up straight from the bus station in, at Syracuse and drove me down to Winston-Salem we interviewed uh I'd forgotten a belt his, <laughs> his girlfriend bought me a belt at Walmart that I wore for like it's almost 10 years after that. <laughs> we stayed at the cheapest hotel in Winston-Salem. There were cigarette burns in the sheets. That's about right. Yeah. We told them where we were staying years later, and they, they were actually, like, concerned for our safety. It was, <laughs> it was great. So we get the job. You know, they thought – I showed up in a suit for a job that paid, like, $5,000 for the year part-time or something like that. <laughs> All I could think is – I think I'm sure other people are going to apply for that. Nobody wants this more than me. So I got, I got, you know, I had to be here kind of thing. And in my mind, I was like, Oh no, did I, I didn't consider overdoing it, but in retrospect, I had it been the wrong hire hiring person. There's a chance they might've said, well, this guy's kind of out of his mind. What's, what's going on here? This but, is like high point before high point. This was, it's exactly right. Yeah. I, I, I was that guy who sent 15 emails in the inbox and I showed up in a suit for that job. Exactly. So the moral of the story like, is send lots of emails and show up in suits. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Be, be, be ridiculously eager. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, so that's kind of that's the that's the the initial foray. Yeah, they they did I did Pittsburgh right out of school, so that was how that happened. 
Uh, how did you uh, progress at uh, ISP, then eventually IMG? And, and I'm imagining at some point in time, you're always wanting to do play-by-play. Um, and that's, I'm sure, where High Point comes in and, and all of that. Um, but kind of take me down the road of what it's like being on the inside, um, kind of down at, at IMG in Winston-Salem. So I started part-time. For, for two years, I was doing Starbucks substitute teaching and uh, ISP, High Point Panther women, and then occasionally some UNC Greensboro Olympic stuff on the internet. And I actually got four men's games to call at UNCG. I, when, with ISP, they had a respect for what I was doing. I think, you know, just to try to make ends meet and the desire to be there and kind of there's kind of a starving artist element to what we all are doing when we first get out of school. So there was a certain, I think, respect, you know, for for just the hustle Um, and that and everybody likes to every company wants to be wanted, you know. So I think my first year out of school, I made 12 grand and. I didn't ask mom and dad for help. I remember, remember thinking this is this was my choice. This is my burden, and you, they gave me, you know, I got in my family that you get a college education and you get a car. So you get educated and you get mobility, and and they were like, that's what we do, and you'll hand that down to your kids. And uh, I and what a gift. I mean, you, what more can you give? And I, I remember thinking I, I've got the all I need, so I, I should be able to do this. So my first year there, I'm, I'm doing all this part-time stuff, but slowly but surely you kind of start to get an itch for like, okay, this could be paying bills month to month. Shouldn't be such a victory that that's, that felt monumental. So the next year, I think i made 14 grand. It felt like a money shower. Felt like <laughs> I- and then what really happened was I realized I could still do the part-time ISP stuff and if I could if, and, and get rid of the Starbucks stuff and all that stuff, I got hired by UNC Greensboro full time in their athletic department. So I, I really got my full my full time start there. And what happens is, is uh, once you get your first full time job and Newhouse was really good. They said this when I was at school. Once you get one job, somebody else will say, OK, they took a chance on hiring him and the investment that that is. Maybe we can too. So I just I wasn't at UNCG more than for full time. I'm not even sure I was there long enough for health benefits to kick in, like 90 days or however it worked with that. Um, I might actually be blending Starbucks and UNCG with health benefits, <laughs> but but I wasn't there long enough and at either, frankly. And and ISP hired me uh, in 08. So once I got full time there. I've realized my way to at least a little bit more comfort in life, and I could still do the on-air work, was to do a whole bunch of off-air work. So I did production. I called radio stations to take content. And I loved that stuff, too, because I loved the the whole industry. I I was really happy to do more work. I I didn't feel like I only wanted to do on-air stuff in this world. I liked the off-air stuff. I liked helping in other regards, helping sales staffs. I genuinely enjoyed that stuff. Some guys don't didn't like it as much as I did, I thought, and, and I really liked it. So I kind of dove in head first. So I so my first big game I got to call, I think I was like 24, and Pitt needed to fill it. And I remember I was sitting courtside 
And, uh, and I, I had thought after the 12 grand, 14 grand years and, and like those first couple seasons and, um, UNCG, uh, hadn't hired me yet. I had considered quit quitting is the wrong word, but saying like, all right, I gave it a crack and this is pretty brutal. You know, I, I don't know if this life is all it's really cut out for. It's not, it's just a, it was tough kind of along the way. Every single time I got to that point something good would happen that would really keep me involved. UNCG would hire me, ISP would hire me, stuff would, would, would pop up. So that was the first game I got, kind of came out of nowhere. You know, I, I got a, truly got a, almost literally a tap on the shoulder at my desk. Hey, I think we need you for this. And for me, it was like the biggest, it was a huge deal. I, Cause I was young kid and hadn't really done any big games. I hadn't done any game anybody other than like friends and family had listened to for, for, for play by play. And Got to Philly, and I'm sitting next to Dick Grote, who a younger generation may be less familiar with, but an older one would consider him to be like Michael Jordan. And I and I, there was a moment when the ball went up in the air, and you know, I there was a moment where I had to kind of take like a big gulp, like okay, let's calm, like let me get through this, <laughs> because it was the first game, the first moment where I thought, you know, I wonder if this is actually going to work out. I think this may actually happen. And uh, and even if it doesn't, I, I felt like I had achieved something. And uh, in many ways I had, it was, it was really exciting. So that, that was a sweet moment in retrospect and uh, kind of the first time as you know, in, in answering your question in, in like weaving my way up there. Um, the first time I thought that I was going to be able to call games, you know, at a, at a, at a at a level where, where folks might be listening. So it was really fun. So then I, after that, there was some other year by year, some other national stuff would pop up after four or five years of that. I had a, I had a pretty darn good resume, a bunch of big games I'd called and, um, and then Washington state needed a guy and they, and they called me and it was one flattering and two a no brainer, you know? Tell me about the the Washington State move for you. Um, just from the standpoint, and, and I, I relate to, to you a little bit uh, in this regard in that, and, and I mean, you even were more associated with Wazoo um, because you were working as kind of the West Coast guy with IMG as, as kind of a network manager. Um, but not having, you know, not having graduated from there, not being from Pullman, not not being a not being one of them, so to speak, when when you first got the job. And I even look back to like when I got Ball State um, I literally had never been on campus until my first day working here. Um, I like I, I all I knew about Ball State before I got this job was that they went twelve and zero, and then eventually twelve and two in two thousand eight. Um, how did you uh, overcome that initial hurdle from both a perception, but also the reality of having to kind of make up for lost time and be able to to digest history yourself so that you can uh, talk about it when you need to. There's only so much you can do because you need, uh, you need people to the, the, the whole, the spirit of your question is uh, the value of this role is, is very much correlated with tenure. And I used to think that it was, I was mistaken previously before I got out here in thinking that, if you just were someplace a long time, it couldn't but work out for you in that place. It was going to be a massive success. But what I realize is that's trust. 
the fans in these schools need to trust the person in this role. And if you're good, they'll tune in. If you're not good, I think eventually it just kind of the, the, the piece of, of inventory that it is and the, and the outlet that it is for fans, depending on your perspective, be it for the sales staff or be it for just the, the, the general media uh, arm that it is. If it's not good, people don't like proactively say you're horrible or anything like that. They just kind of stop listening. And, and I think your burden's higher. Your, your burden to get folks to trust you is higher. And I guess the answer to that really is you, you, you can't do anything synthetic. You, you need to just be really consistent. You can't make huge mistakes. So you can't, you know, in my world, my Jason Gesser is the analyst. I've worked a lot with Alex Brink. Guys who I knew already before I came out here, of course, Drew Bledsoe is kind of hanging around the program. His son is on the team now. And I dove into the history the best I could. But I knew now and I know I knew then and I know now there are Cougs in places who who will forever know more about the 1976 Washington State team than I ever will. But I know more about these last three years than they ever will. And the access I have right now is going to build on itself. And in that regard, it's irreplaceable. So I, I don't think you can, I don't attempt to win the history game. I say, essentially I'm a, I'm a junior in college. I'm the people ask me like, do you love the Cougs? Do you, do you get into Washington state? I said, well, did you as a junior in school? And they're kind of floored. And I'm like, and I, I live here as an adult and they feed me like, what, what, you know, this is all I've got. This is my job. This all I do every day is, is, and and I'm, again, I'm talking like a fan hypothetically here. All, all I do every day is Washington State. So what do you think? You know what I mean? And I'm closer to this than you ever were. You, so once you get, once you kind of get, I shouldn't say I don't. I don't mean to be so competitive about my about my associations. <laughs> I, I what my, my implication is is in the you know the spirit of challenging whether or not I uh, have like secretly have like orange pom poms I bring to the radio booth or something to, to watch the Syracuse game while I'm calling the coot while I'm calling the Cougs. I, I almost find to be sort of silly because nothing could be from the truth. So uh, does that make sense? You know, yeah. I, I don't think I don't think there's anything you can do, but I, I just if you're good, it'll, it'll kind of work out and 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 you know you know about your team now and you cover them the best you can. Yeah, I don't know if there's an answer to this question, too, because I don't even know it myself. I mean, like, for me, it was right place, right time. That might have been the case for for you as well. But um, how do you go about trying to pitch yourself to a position that is not something you have a connection to? Because I feel like a lot of us in this industry go through that, where it's like, wow, that'd be a really great job. I've never lived there. I don't know anybody, and I don't know anything about the team. Um, But when I get there, like, I feel like I can do the job, and once I'm immersed in it, I'm your guy. Um, but we also work in an industry where people are so tethered to who you are that it's almost, um, you know, that, that matters. You're building a reputation with every email you send. You're building a reputation with every game you call, every person you meet, probably more importantly, especially when you're young. And you're sort of setting yourself up for t- to be vetted from the moment you begin your career and it's such a crapshoot in so many ways because there's few of these spots and i i i I think they have to they have to want somebody new in my instance they wanted somebody 
with a fresh perspective, I think, you know, I'm, I'm getting, I'm, I, and I don't, these are like questions I don't even, yeah, I'll ask him in like 15 years. You know what I mean? <laughs> if, if these folks are even around, if the same people are even around, I'll, maybe I'll ask him. I, I'll have to ask, you know, why'd you want me? And, and, and I'm sure some of it is they wanted somebody young with a, who had, who had, they, I know they liked the way I sound. They liked the way I called the game. And I, and I know they vetted me before I ever knew it and all that stuff. Well, I shouldn't say that. I don't know. I, that's an assumption. I don't know. But, but I, to a degree, they must have and, and knew who I was. I, I had done the West Coast stuff off air, as you alluded to. I, I'd known a bunch of folks from that. Uh, I, I know that didn't hurt. I, I don't know um, the degree to which it helped. I, I know that. It was a funny blend of being really enjoying that off-air work, but also, but also being good on the air. You know, there were kind of two separate, two separate things that I that I really happened to enjoy trying to excel at. So, I guess I think you kind of have to get lucky and hope that's what they want. There's really nothing you can do. You know, you're doing you're doing Ball State. Well, if the the Atlanta Hawks want a guy. And, and that's something that you think you'd be good for, and it, and they and they have to want somebody who's not from Atlanta currently. Yeah. You know, there's nothing nothing you can do about that. True. Um, you talked about they liked your sound. Um, tell me about your sound a little bit. Uh, how did you develop into the play-by-play guy that you are now, uh, and what's important in a play-by-play uh, call to you? What a great question. I, I in some way you just got to be yourself. And, 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 and in another way, you need to absolutely rip off as much stuff and steal from other all these other great guys doing it. <laughs> Combination of those two things, and I think you'll 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 be somewhere in the middle. I, I listened to so many other guys, and I was really brutal with myself when I listened back to myself. I used to listen back to every single thing I did, and just try and and really break myself down from a from a fundamentals perspective, one of the things AER emphasizes is the nuts and bolts of it. The part you can control your verb choice, your tense, your really kind of the writing element as the foundation of the way you call the game. But once you leave school, I think it flips over to how do you sound more so than not more so than, but there's more of an emphasis, way more of an emphasis on what's your voice like, how do you sound? And, one of the things I used to do when I was really young is I'd like, you know, everybody sings in the shower or something like that. Well, I used to create fake game situations and call them with my eyes closed. And I remember thinking, if I can't sound the way I want to sound with a fake game I've created, how could I ever imagine sounding like I want to sound when I can't control what the guys are doing? So I used to do that kind of stuff. Like, probably they probably were just reps and exercises, without think, without realizing it. You know, it was like extra games to call in some way, and I was probably a little oddly intense about it. <laughs> um, one of the great things about Winston Salem was I listened to like 50, 60 guys. You know, all the guys coming through there, and some of them were so good. Yeah, at what they do, and um, all the pro guys, all that stuff. So. Um, in short, I'd say that, you know, I listened to myself constantly. And then I listened to all these other guys trying to pick and choose things. I really like turns of phrases, ways they inflected, things like that. Uh, what do you want to hear most on a broadcast? Technically speaking, uh, even beyond voice, like what's important to you to make sure that you get in. I just want to know what's going on. I know that sounds really simple, but 
that's all people want. You know, when people are listening to our broadcast, they're not in Chicago and they're not in New Jersey and they're not in Atlanta or Phoenix, probably in the state of Washington where they went to school here. We get tons of listeners on our app from like, you know, people in France. And it's really, that's one of my favorite things is when I find out people, someone's listening in like Belgium or something. It's really cool. (laughs) That's cool. They listen because they just want to know what's going on. They love the kooks. It drives me absolutely crazy. And it, I think it's bad for the business. It's bad for the industry. It just drives me nuts if I'm listening to another game and I listen all the time and I don't know what's going on. And the best guys not only tell me what's going on, but do it with great detail and are entertaining and, and, and are informative. If somebody's so caught up in their own performance or they're struggling in some regard and I don't know what's going on. As, as simple as it is, that that's that's what this really is. And at minimum, that's time and score. And at maximum, I can really picture what's going on and follow follow the ball. You know what I mean? You wear you do you work with a three person booth though? Yeah, we've got uh, the the guy the, the legendary voice of the Kook guy. I've been here for this will be his fifty second year coming up. Uh, Bob Robertson. So he's in the booth as well, and his role is unique. That whole setup is unique, and it's a unique scenario. I mean, he, he's he's been around a really long time the thing that's amazing about bob is fans love him for one but the thing that's amazing is is he was there he called the games in 1964 <laughs> so he's got perspective and some memories of those games i mean that's i, I, I can barely remember what i had for dinner last night you know this this guy's talking about games in 1965 he referenced it once on the air i remember thinking <laughs> he, he did that game. it's amazing so Pretty cool resource to have. How do you manage that, and how do you work everybody in, and how do you still establish what you need to do to be as descriptive as you want to be, um, but at the same time set them up to, to make them uh, sound as smart as they are and let them kind of display their knowledge? And, and uh, you know, if you're Jason, his knowledge of the game, and if you're Bob, his knowledge of, of uh, kind of history and, and what he's seen and where he's been. I try to give them softball lobs that they can just crush out of the – you know, and, and as cliche as that is – I rarely send them something that I don't know they can really drill. I never want to put them on the spot. And with Bob, it, w- w- with absolutely no commentary, guy's sharp as a tack. It's pretty amazing. W- w- you know, like I said, I can't. I really can't remember. I mean, I'm thinking right now what I did for dinner last night. I've got to rack my brain. <laughs> I would never send him send him like, hey, do you remember anything from 1977? Like, I, I don't. <laughs> you know, that's crazy. That, that's a that's an almost offensive question. It's it's putting him in a bad spot. So I try to put him in great spots. Number one, and number two is just get out of the way. I I, I I often think that in in calling all these great moments here, and I've had fantastic moments with Falk and Marks, and just been super lucky. Whatever your ego is, if that's insufficient for you, in you're doing in doing the job, if you have to shove your guys out of the way more then you're probably doing it wrong. There's something up with you. If, if you can't let Gas and Bob, and we've got a great sideline reporter, Jessamine. She does a really good job. She gets great stories on the sideline. My job is to make them sound great. If they do, I'm calling the game action anyway. So I'm in it. There's no, there's no way to pull me out of it. I'm baked in. So the more I can get them involved and make them sound really smart, prepped analytical whatever it is then the better i sound the better we all sound and everybody everybody's kind of hugs each other and the fa- you can feel listeners can feel the emotional state of the booth and when everybody sounds good and is supported 
fans can tell that. So I, I think you. I had read you you and Bob will talk for like two to three hours before a game. Is that true? You know, nightmare scenario. Everybody's nightmare scenario is you're, you're going to be late, right? Like I always joke, we have weird hours, but, you know, Wall Street opens and closes at a certain time. But like I got a buddy who works on Wall Street. He can go to the bathroom during during trading, right? <laughs> like we work on the strange, most strangely hard deadlines in any business ever. I got there really, really early, and I found by by coincidence or probably by neuroses because we're both out of our minds to a degree, Bob also would get there early and always had. And he wants to get there and and see people, old friends, people who kind of come by the booth and say hey to Bob who've been coming to Cougar Games for 30 years, and Bob's been there for 50 years. So he he wants to be able to soak that in, and so – I would get there way early and, and he did too. And, and I would just kind of sit there and on the step, there's nothing else to do. I was there so early. It was kind of, <laughs> you know, it, it was, it was obscene, but he, uh, so yeah, I'd, I'd be in the booth and he'd be there and I would just kind of, I tried not to bother him, you know, cause I was a, I, and still am in, in his eyes, probably a young whippersnapper. You know, just, <laughs> I know more people in the league now. So that time has now become actually more fact finding, get a lot of nuggets. I get a lot of like thoughts of how pregame is going to go. And then it's more of a, almost like an informal format meeting before the, before kick with Bob. It's, it's, it's more business. Now we've, we've kind of gotten past the feeling out process and now it's more like working together, which is, which is really fun. What's the best thing Mike Leach has told you while you've been there? It's probably something I can't tell you on the, on the record. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I, definitely something I can't tell you on the record. Um, coach is great. Is, is it that? better than it's like Woodstock, but they're wearing clothes? Yeah, yeah, it's a, probably. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would say. What's, but it's, um, what's good about working with him? He he's he's a really bright guy, and he he's a guy who, if you do work with him. I don't know. There's just one thing I, I really enjoy working with him. He's he's a he's a really fun football mind, an underrated football mind, because people always like to talk about like the crazy stuff he says. But he's got a great mind for the game. It's really fun to hear him talk football philosophy. Of course, he's got quirky stuff that he says, and he knows that, and he, he's cultivated that personality. But um, he he's actually really pleasant. You know, he's a really nice guy. He's he's not. He's the guy, this, this is a good way to put it, everybody who works with Mike Leach, who's like on his side, on his team, really enjoys it. He's really easy to work with. But he's a pretty f- vicious competitor, pretty fierce competitor is probably a better adjective. And if you're competing against him, he's really hard to beat and he can be really difficult and he'll needle you and he knows what he's doing. So isn't that what everybody wants in a coach anyway? You know what I mean? Yeah. That's kind of, it's kind of, so it's kind of like that. He's very different on your side than he is to compete against. And he's very hard to beat. Um, but he's actually really pleasant. I mean, we've spent personal time together and um, my wife, my wife loves him. <laughs> he's, he's, he's really very polite and he's very, um, he's a cowboy. I mean, he's from Wyoming. He's got a cowboy uh, ethics. He's very formal. He's he, more so than people give him credit for. He, um, he, he's, he's a gentleman uh, around my wife and, 
Uh, I, I bet you people probably wouldn't realize that in, in that regard. He's, and he's inquisitive. Um, and he wants to, he, he asks about you, you know, he, he's fun. He really is. He's really, he's, he's pleasant, which is, I think folks would say is unexpected. They might think he's abrasive or quirky or weird. He's, he's actually really pleasant. He's really nice. Coaches shows have got to be a good time. I would imagine. The easiest, easiest hour to fill in America. Yeah. I, it, yeah. yeah. A, a, ask one question, go away, let him go for 10 minutes. Phenomenal. Do you, what do you talk? Like, do you talk about random things too? I, I, we do that. That inevitably pops up and, and folks asking crazy stuff. I keep it to football. And, and and not not like I only keep it to football, but my general thrust of the Mike Leach coaches show is we're here because fans want to know, especially when we're good and we've been really good. The Cougs are playing Colorado. Let's talk about that. Should tree houses and lemon meringue pie come up? Like, yeah, we're going to go there. We'll talk about that. <laughs> but uh, you say that, it, you say that from experience, it sounds like. Uh, correct. Yeah, it's true. Those are two topics that we've, we've, we've gone very deep into. Yeah. I don't even want to know. Um, <laughs> let me end on this note because I, I, I did go uh, deep in depth Googling you last night. Uh, so I'm uh-huh. just curious. Uh, I did find your wedding site. You mentioned your wife. Um, yeah. It said that you met with four bullet points, uh, long run, brunch, spaghetti, and marriage. Uh, is it that easy? <laughs> To get lucky, to get lucky. <laughs> Talk about right time, right place. Uh, Especially in this I industry. Did, yeah, yeah, seriously. Uh, we, we met, uh, I, I'm either embarrassed or proud to say we met at CrossFit. <laughs> All right. And, and then we uh, went, we did, I did, we did go on a long run. Uh, we did brunch the next day. I, I, uh, that later on the next week, I cooked her spaghetti, which is one my go-to, and two probably my only actual meal I can really cook. <laughs> and and then that was uh, that was kind of the deal. All right, that's Matt Chasnow joining us here on Play by Playcast, the voice of the Washington State Cougars. Listen, it's that easy. You meet somebody at CrossFit, you make them spaghetti, you go for a long run. Like, not that hard. Like, what what are we all doing here? <laughs> many thanks to Chaz for taking some time to join us uh interesting to hear the Mike Leach takes too by the way I thought that was uh I thought that was kind of cool I, I don't know what I was expecting there um lemon Mer- I, I kind of want to hear the audio of lemon meringue pie and tree houses on a coach's show because I want to figure out how to get down that path on a coach's show <laughs> like that's probably a really good segment like a really good segment um Anyway, uh, many thanks to Chaz, as always, uh, for joining us. If you want to find him on social media, he is at M underscore Chaz, at M underscore C-H-A-Z, voice of the Washington State Cougars, Matt Chazanel. We'll take a time out, though, this week. We're back next Friday morning with another edition of Play by Playcast. Until then, see ya. Hit it, Marshmallow. We're out. I'm